If you have your Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Judges, and we're going to kind of dip in uh, and get verses uh, that uh, would uh, be the background of our, our study today. Judges 13 through 16. The title of my message today is Power, How to Abuse It and How to Lose It. One of the most interesting men in the whole Bible, of course, is Samson. We all know who he was, what he did, what he was about. His life and ministry is recorded in these chapters. Today, as we look at those, we're going to see a man that in so many ways dramatically failed, but that God used him anyway. And God uses him today to help teach us a few lessons about our life and the direction that we're going. I guess if you were going to give a title to the life of Samson in the Old Testament, it would be power, how to abuse it, how to lose it. We know about Samson's birth. He was a Nazarite. He was called by God to serve. He didn't do a lot of that, but that's what he was called to do. We know about his unusual strength. So many have said that he's the strongest man that ever lived. He did some amazing things. We all have to admit that. He got some bushes and he tied them uh, around 300 foxes. And then he set the bushes on fire. And of course the foxes were trying to get away from the fire. And they ran through the fields and burned up all the crops of the Philistines. And, of course, that made them all furious to Samson's delight. One day, Samson killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. A thousand men. Now, can you imagine that? That would rate up there with those action movies that come out today. A thousand men. One guy. Well, we know how frivolous he was uh, with his... Involvement with Delilah, uh, that Philistine beauty. We know the secret of his strength that was revealed to her, which was the dumbest thing that he ever did. (laughs) We know how Samson was captured, how he was tortured, how he was blinded, how he was imprisoned. We've read about all those things in the book of Judges. We know how the Philistines tortured him, brought him out one day at one of their pagan festivals. Uh, They went to the uh, fanciest temple that the pagans had, the temple of Dagon. And Samson kind of edged his way over between the two biggest pillars that really held up the whole structure. And he prayed that God would give him strength, and God did. And he got between those two pillars and pushed real hard both ways. And the walls came tumbling down. Over 3,000 of the Philistines were killed. Over 3,000. And he was killed as well as the stones fell from the ceiling. When you read a story like that in the scripture, you say to yourself, Now why did God put that story in the Bible? Why did he do that? Samson is so different from all the other judges. He didn't mount any military 
campaigns as all the other judges did. He didn't do that at all. He didn't give national leadership to the people. He didn't do that at all. He offended us with his immorality and his association with all the Philistine women. Uh, That isn't a, a pretty scene. Mainly Samson's life was a series of frivolous escapades, of lusty romantic adventures. He was kind of an Old Testament uh, Paul Bunyan. Uh, He was kind of a Jewish Tarzan. He was kind of a Superman. He could do anything, anywhere, anytime he wanted to. Nobody would stand against Samson. I believe that the purpose that God had in mind for including this book, the story of the Old Testament, right in the middle there, is to show us the danger that's faced by strong people. You know, as I look around the room today, I was thinking about my sermon and looking around this morning. There are a lot of strong people in this church, really strong people that have excelled in business, that have excelled in the military, that have excelled in this way or that way or the other way. Well, strange as it might seem, strong people have a lot of things that they have to overcome. It shows the tragedy about power, how it can be abused and how it can be lost as we look at this strongest of strong men and see what he did. One of the reasons I think Samson failed is that he forgot that revenge is always self-destructive. Every time. He was a man with such strength, unbelievable strength. Probably he was very handsome, very, very popular with the people. I can imagine the aura of admiration that all the people had for him. The Philistines didn't, of course, but uh, the rest of the people did. Uh, you know, today, great athletes always have a following. You know, the kids just admire them and think that they're king of the world and all that. And, and you know, if you're a star in the news or in the military or in politics or wherever it might be, if you're the star, if you're the bright, shining thing, uh, you know, people follow you. Well, I'm sure that the young boys of Israel talked about Samson every day. Because every day he did something that was just almost unbelievable. They talked about him. They idolized him. They looked up to him. And guess what? Uh, He was the model uh, for their lives. Of course, they weren't as strong as he was. They couldn't do what he could do. But they all idolized him. He had such potential for leadership. God had given him such tremendous strength. God gave it to him. He didn't do those physical fitness things on TV. God just gave him the uh, strength. He could have led the people of Israel, but he didn't. He could have motivated them and encouraged them and let them throw off their Philistine oppression, but he didn't. When you examine these chapters, it quickly becomes very, very clear that his only works were accounts and exploits of frivolous, selfish revenge. That's what he was about. He used his strength to get even with people, to pay debts, 
His strength was wasted on the whims and satisfying his lust. He was called and gifted to deliver a whole nation, to redeem the oppressed. But instead, you see a life here that was wasted and squandered and abused in such a tragic way. He forgot that vengeance is always self-destructive. It's that way for you and for me. Samson never learned. He wasted his talents and power on the pursuit of vengeance and forgetting that vengeance is always the Lord's. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. And it will always be self-destructive for you or for me. Secondly, I think Samson failed because he forgot that arrogant self-sufficiency is really weakness. Look back at his life and it becomes a pattern as you look through everything that he did. He thought he could take care of everything single-handedly. He never recruited anybody to do anything. Never did. He never looked to anyone for help, and he was quite proud of the fact that he could do whatever he wanted to do all by himself, that he didn't need anybody else. He thought, uh, you know, I'm strong enough. I can uh, take care of any situation that comes. We all have a little bit of that kind of childish self-sufficiency in us. We all have that. We all think, well, I can do that. I can do that. Samson had a whole lot of that. I mean, not just a little bit, a whole lot. Right at the beginning of his ministry, he decided to do just the thing that God didn't want him to do. He decided to go and vacation among the Philistines. He thought to himself, I can handle this. It's not a problem. He takes his strength and flaunts it before them as if he were saying, nothing's too big for me. I can handle anything. Well, he reminds you of that young person who throws off the offer of assistance from someone older or wiser when really he can't do it and he can't handle it. But he just wants to act like he can. If we ever come to a place where we feel like we don't need anybody else, we don't need the power that God gives us, we can do it alone, then we're headed in the same destructive pattern that Samson had. Well, we need to learn the lesson that arrogant self-sufficiency is really a sign of weakness in our lives. When we show that, it's showing that we're not nearly as strong as we thought. You've seen different kinds of leaders in our day. You know there are leaders who are threatened, who are insecure, who have to have the total control over whatever they're involved in. Do you know somebody like that? If they're in the homeowners association, they want to be the chairman. If they're in this group, this club, this team, they want to be the captain. They want to run everything and everybody. That's the way they think. Uh, they're kind of practice uh, being a dictator. Uh, They're defensive, they're always concerned about their position, their prestige, their possessions, their power, 
and they are unwilling to share any responsibility. There are leaders like that. I'm sure you know some of them. In beautiful contrast to that, there are those leaders who are secure and unthreatened within themselves, who share responsibility with others, who motivate and encourage and delegate responsibility among those that share that responsibility, equipping those around them to work with them, to help them be their very best. Have you ever had a boss like that? Isn't it wonderful to find somebody like that? Somebody that really tries to help you and guide you and perfect the obvious talent that you have. Well, sometimes uh, folks multiply their own effectiveness by the use of others and their talents, and sometimes they don't do that at all. And whenever it's that way, they don't get as much done. Thirdly, he failed because he forgot that without discipline, life goes out of control. It just goes out of control. The Bible encourages self-control as a powerful virtue and says, He that ruleth his own spirit is better than he who rules a city. Now, that's in the Bible. I believe stuff that's in the Bible, don't you? I believe everything's in there. Well, if that's true, think how important uh, that virtue is. It's more important than ruling a city. Samson never remembered that. He had no self-control whatsoever. He couldn't control his tongue. He boasted about his feats and what he had accomplished. He that keepeth his mouth, says Proverbs, keepeth his whole life and his soul from trouble. We have to be real careful about what we say. You know, some people say things on TV and they're real sorry about it later. <laughs> You'll soon learn, if you haven't already, that the surest way to get into trouble is to talk too much and not be in control of your tongue. We need a piece of advice which says, a closed mouth gathers no feet. Samson couldn't control his tongue. He couldn't control his anger at all. I mean, if he got mad, he just went out and did something. I mean, he couldn't control it. In chapter 14 of Judges, in verse 19, it speaks of his red-hot anger. Boy, he had it. You know, he was going to get him. He was always losing his temper. He was always lashing out in revenge. He couldn't control his passion. The Bible tells us clearly that sex is a gift of God for man's good. But when it is distorted and misused, it becomes his worst enemy. I've uh, seen some people in high places that uh, have fallen because of 30 minutes of uh, pleasure. Isn't it amazing this year how many people have resigned in the political world 
because they had an affair or did some stupid thing uh, with somebody. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, these guys that are the rising star, they do this and then they're uh, working at Publix. (laughs) Taking baskets out. Well, they lose their future. They lose their work because they, like Samson, were unable to control the passion of their life. How tragic it is to see a person who does not practice self-discipline, who forgets that a life out of control is a life that will soon be destroyed. Destroyed. Not just hurt a little bit. Destroyed. Fourth, he forgets that conformity squelches effectiveness. In chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, we're told that Samson was a Nazarite. And that meant that he was set apart in a very special way. A distinctiveness for God. That's what it means to be a Nazarite. That unique kind of calling, which was his was to be demonstrated in a unique lifestyle, in a way that he dressed, in the way he wore his hair, in the way he had habits and customs. And there was a kind of separatedness that stood for that commitment of his life to God. Well, Samson didn't do any of that. He didn't do one of those things. The very first thing that Samson did when God called him into his service to be a judge and sent him out to be distinctive in serving. First thing that Samson did is he compromised. First thing. He felt it necessary to join the Philistine majority. He went over and lived with them. Those were the people he was supposed to destroy. He went over and lived with them. He married a Philistine wife. He decided to take on their customs. He started doing things like they did them. He gave in and made dangerous alliances with the force that he was put there to oppose. He joined them. He uh, he just thought that would be fun for today. And so that's what he did. Many of us get tangled in the same danger of conformity. And our willingness to blend in with our surroundings. We do that in such a way as we forget what God has called us to do. We squelch our effectiveness as we compromise our uniqueness. Last, I think one of the reasons Samson's failed is that he forgot that life is not a joke. You know, some people... Laugh all the way through life. I laugh a lot. I don't laugh all the time. You know, it's great to have something funny, something that you think is uh, humorous. But life is not a joke. I go see people every day that are going through a hard time. I talk with people every day that are having some pain, some hardship in a relationship, some difficulty with family. This or that or the other. Life is not a joke. It's really not. If you look at uh, Samson, he's the kind of fellow that had a great sense of humor. 
He was always joking. He was always laughing. He liked to pull practical jokes with people. He was the kind of man that probably all of us would like. If we met him, uh, you know, somewhere here in town and, and we were sitting beside him and we got to talking to him, we'd probably like him. Say, well, gosh, he sure is a nice fellow. But he made a fatal mistake of forgetting that some things are not laughing matters. He made the mistake of taking spiritual things very lightly. A lot of folks in America today that are doing that, they don't respond to the challenge of the Word of God or the Spirit of God. They just kind of lightly kind of skip across the top. Samson toyed with the call of God in his life. He knew what it was, but he didn't do it. He fiddled when he should have been delivering Israel. He just fiddled around. There are a lot of people who make the same mistake of taking spiritual things lightly, flippantly excusing our lack of faith in spite of the eternal consequences of that, laughing at the idea of accountability, joking about our lack of faithfulness to our church, forgetting that Jesus loved the church and died for it. He went all the way. He died for it. When you turn to chapter 16, verse 21, you read this. There was a tragic account of Samson blinded, bound in bronze fetters, and brought down to Gaza. The hair of his head was shaved. He had a job grinding at the mill all day long, walking around in a circle, working all day, every day. Well, the hollow echo of all those jokes during his life, they weren't very funny then. There wasn't even a smile about any of those. All that laughter, all that boisterous fun, all of that sounded very, very empty as he learned how tragic it is to take life as a joke. Well, there's a purpose for this story. It raises a flag that says revenge is self-destructive. It really is. Arrogant self-sufficiency is always weakness. Without discipline, a life runs out of control. Conformity always squelches effectiveness. And finally, life is not a joke. You'll remember that Samson, as he pulled down the temple, chapter 16, verse 28. This is uh, the key verse in the book. Uh, chapter 16, verse 28. He says, O oh Lord, just this one time, this one time, give me that strength that I have had before. Give it to me, Lord that I may have revenge on those people that I lost my eyes to. He, st he still was doing revenge at the very last moment of his life. Well, God gave him that power. God answered his prayer, gave him what he wanted. And he pushed the columns of the temple down. 3,000 of them were killed. 
and he was killed. You know, uh, Jesus prayed at his death too, you remember. But his prayer was so different. Jesus didn't say, Lord, let me climb down from this cross so I can go beat up all these guards that were bothering me. He didn't pray that. You know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That was Jesus' prayer. Very, very different from Samson's prayer. Jesus never abused power or used it selfishly. He never did. Not one time. He was never arrogant. One time in his whole life. Jesus even uses you and me. Samson didn't use anybody. But Jesus wants to use us. He wants us to be on the battlefield. He wants us to take life seriously. He wants us to to do the things that he's asked us to do. He asked us to share in the kingdom's responsibility with people just like you and me. He encourages us. He helps us. To be what he wants us to be. He was a perfect example of self-control in every area of his life. Every area. He maintained his distinctiveness in spite of those pressures. Always the pressures were there to squeeze him into the conformity of the scribes and the Pharisees. He didn't bite. He didn't do it. He took his father's will so seriously that it cost him his life. I want to ask you today to do something. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus, not in the footsteps of Samson. Use your power to help his church, to help his program, to help his mission. That's the message from the judges. Today, if you're here in the house, we want you to do the very things that Samson didn't. We want you to take the stands that he didn't, to help the people that he didn't, to love the the populace as he didn't. I hope today that if there are those here in the house that have not made a public profession of their faith, that you do it today. This would be a great day. A great day, a beautiful day that God has made for us. If you're here and you'd like to join the church, be a part of our family, we'd love to have you. We are always open for more brothers and sisters. We'd love to have you come. I'm going to stand down here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn. If the Lord leads you, slip out and come forward. Let's stand together as we sing.